0: Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Hello and uh, welcome to this podcast. My name is Parker McGoldrick. I'm one of the pastors here at Ankeny Gospel Church. And this is the Study Notes podcast. The title of this, the idea of this, is was pretty straightforward. Um, these are the study notes, the extra like footnotes. Um, basically, as we're preparing for sermons, we're reading a lot of commentaries, monographs, articles, uh, pastors, theologians. We're listening to other sermons, and inevitably, in the editing process or the sermon formation process, stuff gets cut out. Uh, not, not everything makes it to, to the sermon. Now, some stuff, you know, is pretty like insignificant. Like it's like, okay, well, I'm not going to say this in the sermon because it's actually doesn't mean that it doesn't, it's not that significant, but other stuff, especially if it's a dense text, other stuff is like, man, I really wish I could put this in the sermon, but I don't want my sermon to be an hour long. (laughs) And so I have to cut it. Um, and here we are. So that's the idea of this uh, podcast is the study notes, whereas if there's something that we're like, man, we really wish you could have said this, we try to allude to it in the sermon and then uh, touch on it and record this podcast later in the week, and that is what we are doing. So Matthew 1, 1 through 17, last Sunday, if you were at church or you listened to the podcast, uh, there was quite a bit of information there And it was, it was, I mean, I absolutely loved it. I, a sidebar, I haven't even started yet, but I'm already doing a sidebar, a little rabbit trail. I get it. There are certain texts in the Bible that are really hard to read. I, I've fallen asleep reading the Bible multiple times. I, my eyes have, you know, glazed over when I get to specifically either law code, like in Leviticus or something, or genealogies. And it's unfortunate that genealogies have kind of been relegated to this, like, historical documentation and it's not really like that significant. It's just trying to tell us, you know, who was the dad of who. And I, I hope that the sermon on Sunday kind of shook that uh, paradigm a little bit, kind of shifted that paradigm a little bit because th- there is no such thing as a, bo- a boring text in the Bible. Again, I get it. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard. But the point is, is that if we do the work and we, and we study and we look at the intention of the author there's actually these beautiful theologies that just jump off the page. And that's what happened in my experience. As I was reading Matthew, I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I got to preach a genealogy. I honestly confession. I was just going to do verse one and then skip down to verse 18 because I was like, what on earth could this be about? But then the more digging I did, the more I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's way more that meets the eye than just a historical documentation. So I hope that that was, that was my experience. I hope I brought that and conveyed that during the sermon but also during the sermon, I mentioned um, something that I was going to talk about here. I'm actually going to talk about two uh, somethings, two points, <clears throat> two points I want to talk about. The first is is fairly short, sweet, and to the point. First is this. Another reason why Matthew includes women in his genealogy is to reference Genesis 3. Okay? I, meant, I talked about the reason there were five women in the genealogy, and I kind of feel like I had this big oversight. And it's like, oh, my gosh, one of the biggest reasons— why there are women in the genealogy is a link back to Genesis 3. If you remember in Genesis 3, what happened? Adam and Eve are in the garden. The serpent comes around. He deceives Eve. She takes of the fruit of the knowledge of fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, gives it to her husband, Adam. He's there. He eats Yahweh God comes around and he's like, what's going on? And he's asking them questions. They start blaming each other. Then he turns to the serpent and he curses the serpent. And then this, he says this to the serpent In uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I will put hostility between you, serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. They call this the Proto-Evangelion. They call this the first gospel. Why? Because it is the first mention of an offspring of the woman coming and defeating the serpent, defeating the devil and the enemy. And who is that? Obviously, obviously, all signs point to Jesus. Jesus is the seed of the woman. Who defeats the enemy who defeats the devil and what uh, what other reason i mean there's other reasons but it, what a profound reason by saying by putting five women in the genealogy he's reminding like there's hostility here between the woman and the enemy between the seed of the offspring of the woman and the seed and the offspring of the um of the serpent so that's just another reason uh why he added um uh five women to to the to the genealogy the second point i want to make Second point I want to make comes from verse 17 again. I'm going to, if you're not in front of your Bibles right now, I'm going to read verse 17 to kind of refresh our uh, brains. Matthew chapter one, verse 17 says this. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations and from David until the exile to Babylon, 14 generations and from the exile to Babylon until the Messiah or until the Christ, 14 generations. If you haven't listened to the sermon, I talked about two reasons why that's significant. Here, the first was the year of Jubilee. Matthew is claiming that Jesus is bringing about the year of Jubilee, where you are no longer a slave, you are no longer in debt, and you no longer don't have a home or an inheritance. You have all those things in Christ. The second reason was, who's the 14th father? If you look at the last section of 14, there's actually 13 names. The whole point is like, hey, who's Jesus' father? Of course, we know as God, because the next story is about Mary being pregnant by the Holy Spirit, by God. So Jesus is God's son. Final point that we're going to expound here on verse 17 is this. Um, It's this idea of, there's a study called Gematria, which is like kind of the study of numbers in the Bible and how numbers are important or not important, their significance, what they mean, what they don't mean, etc., And in the Hebrew language, which the Old Testament is written primarily in in Hebrew, but in the Hebrew language, uh, letters have a numerical significance as well, right? So in English, we have letters, A, B, C, and we also have numbers, one, two, three, right? In the Hebrew language, and also in a lot of ancient uh, Semitic languages and other languages, their letters actually correspond, they double as numbers. So for example, in Hebrew... I'm going to use English to describe Hebrew. In Hebrew, it would be like the letter A is also the number one. The letter B is also the number two. The letter C is also the number three. So, if you did a math equation in ancient Hebrew, you would put A plus A equals what B, right? Because one plus one equals two. So, there is a numeric value to number uh, to letters. Sorry, there is a numeric value to letters in the Hebrew language, which means. That names, some names have, actually all names, have a numeric value. Okay, here's where it's cool. Let's take the name David, not let's take the name David. Matthew takes the name David. David has three consonants, D, V, D, right? D, V, D, D, V, D, David, right? Uh, Each of those consonants corresponds to a letter. There's no vowels in the Hebrew language, by the way. Each of those consonants, D, V, D, uh, corresponds to a letter. D corresponds to the letter four so uh or the letter sorry have i been saying letter this whole time number d the letter d in hebrew corresponds to the number four okay so we have four the letter v remember david dvd the letter v in hebrew corresponds to the number six and the letter d again corresponds to the number four so you have four six four d v d add them all up what is four plus six plus four you guessed it. 14. 14. Coincidence? I no, not a coincidence. Furthermore, if you if you count all of the names, guess who is 14th in the list in the genealogy? David. Right? Finally, when you get to the verse 17, where there's 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations, what you have is you have this idea of the son of David, which was talked about in verse 1. You have this David who actually ends up being number 14 in the genio- in the list, and you also have the name David that adds up to the number 14. The point, Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne in terse language Jesus is king. Here's what a um a scholar RT France says. In in the case or in that case, so everything I just said, the theological focus of Matthew's genealogy is not so much on the number 14 as on the royal dimension to which it points. He tr- what Matthew does is he traces the line of succession and it finds its culmination in the coming of Jesus the son of David and thus is the restoration of the monarchy in other words like i said earlier jesus is king from verse 1 you have you have this claim jesus is the christ he's the son of david he's the son of abraham then you go through this genealogy that's carefully structured and organized in such a way to show you that that Jesus isn't just like Matthew didn't just flippantly say oh he's the son of David cool because David was a good king so I'll just put David on that list no what he's doing is he is saying everything about Jesus everything about Jesus is bringing a bringing back and restoring the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven just like you thought David was good what Jesus is going to bring in his kingdom is justice and peace and God's will that's why he says in the prayer, God's, uh, your will be done on earth, on the land, as it is up there in the heavens, in the skies, quick, uh, forward, right? So that's looking back. That's a really cool, uh, um, little thing there, right? What's going to happen in chapter two, we're going to get introduced to this character named King Herod. Okay. If you're, if you have this genealogy in the back of your mind and it's just, it's just, ringing in your ears this idea that Jesus is the king Jesus is the son of David he's the rightful king uh, of the throne he's the rightful heir to the throne and then all of a sudden you get to chapter 2 and you see king Herod and you're like whoa 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 there's two there's two kingdoms here I thought I thought we just said Jesus was king and it's challenged immediately and then these wise men come from the East and there's like, Hey, where's the King of the Jews? So there's this conflict when Jesus enters the scene and Matthew is claiming that he is the son of David, the rightful heir to the throne. He is King. Immediately there's this conflict. Oh, here's another King. Here's a King from a different empire. Here's King Herod, who, who's going to act much like a Pharaoh by killing all of the, the babies. Uh, and Jesus is going to have to be saved by following his father's instructions. Right. But there's this just conflict of em- uh, the empire King Herod, verse, the Kingdom, the Kingdom of heaven the kingdom of God, so all that to say is i I think that's just another reason why uh genealogies are are not all that they seem if that makes sense Matthew has a very intentional purpose an intentional design to try to get you to say oh my good before you even get before you even meet him or his or his adopted father Joseph or his mother Mary before you even get to a story matthew wants us to to see oh my word the entire culmination of human history is on this guy everything is about jesus everything he's bringing about a new creation he's the messiah the anointed one to whom that's anointed by god and to whom all the nations are going to worship he's the son of david the rightful heir to the throne everything circles around that idea that jesus is king And finally, he's the son of Abraham, the one in and through all the nations are going to be blessed, which you and I, by the way, are recipients of today. You and I are are sitting here 2,000 years later on the other side of the world, recipients of God's promise to Abraham and fulfillment in Jesus. We now have the blessing of God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. We are now sons and daughters of Abraham. So... I hope that's helpful. Um, I wanted to keep this under 15 minutes, and here we are. So good for now. Um, I hope that this day, and I pray that this day, uh, whenever and wherever you are, um, you'd be reminded of God's mercies, of God's sovereignty, and of the fact that God loves you um, very, very much. So onward and upward. (laughs)